Well, good afternoon, everyone. Man, that's a blessing to have that music, isn't it? That was great. I was hoping someone would start applauding. Because we, we applaud after our special music. We don't, whatever you do in your area, we accept. But I was like, oh, I wanted to applaud so badly. And uh, it was very, very nice. Appreciate the, all the musicians, all the work they put into that to make that work. It's great to be back here, as, as Lawrence mentioned. It's been quite a while. I couldn't believe it. Whenever I go back to a new area, I have to keep records so I see what I covered before and see what I want to speak about when I get there. And I look back, Lawrence came to Big Sandy in 2002. That's how long it's been since you've been down our way. Uh, Steve, you were down in 2003. It's been that long ago. And we'd love to have you back. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like we, we loved having you. Just please work it into your schedules. And then I looked, I was shocked. It was 2004 since the last time I was up here. I couldn't believe it. And I, I look back, I think probably it was Brandy's wedding. And so now uh, I'll, I'll be back in June, by the way. I don't know if I'll get another invitation back, but Raymond and Lindsay get married, what's it, June 24th? So I'm going to be back in the area for that. So the Kurs, I love the Kurs. I get a chance to be a part of weddings. I really enjoy that very, very much. So. So I'm up here, actually up there to do some pre-marriage counseling. And I think if she can put up with his stubbornness, it has a chance. It has a, you have a chance, Lindsay, just put up with his stubbornness there. But now we, uh, we did an inventory last night. We give a little inventory. And then I graded the inventory last night. We talked about it again this morning. So we go over it. It, it really is very good at identifying, I think it's 13 different categories of all different things, and their, their honest answers help us to analyze and give us points for discussion. So we had a good time talking about that. But it's good to be here. It's good to see friends. It's good to get back in. The, you know, we've seen some of you sometimes when you come down with Ray and, and the choir come down to sing. We appreciate you all coming down, and those who come down to sing, we appreciate that very much. But for those of you who don't travel down, it sure is nice to see you as well. Come back here. When I, I still have the opportunity to travel twice a month. Uh, I, I get around twice a month. And whenever I, I'm a guest speaker, there's two things that are important to me. And that is to point you to God and to encourage you. So no matter whatever sermon I pick, that's, that's always my purpose. So I mean, those are the general goals of what we're going to talk about, is to, is to point you to God and to encourage you. So I thought, what subject would I like to give? I prayed about it, thought about it. I even called up Ray and Pam and asked them for input just hoping, you know, I'm looking for God's inspiration. And the subject I love to talk about, and you saw the title in the bulletin, the title is God's Deliverance. God's Deliverance. If you could put up, a, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The reason why I've picked this subject, I believe we have all sorts of challenges ahead. We heard in the first sermon about Satan's master plan for decades, for millennia to go ahead and plan for deception. And this is a crazy world with a lot of bad going on, but we have the promise of the kingdom of God. And brethren, I like to deal in reality. I, I like to deal in reality because our trials are real. Our troubles are real. I don't, I don't think putting your head in the sand and ignoring the troubles is the way to go. I think we have to analyze we have real troubles. But, so we have, tr we have facts that show troubles but then, as he mentioned in the first sermon, we have faith. And with faith, with the true promises of God and what God's offering to us, God offers us deliverance. See, the first scripture there, the first Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, 
This was really the first scripture that I ever really focused on as a young person. Now, my stories, you know, our different stories are not important. But for me, just to give you a little background, when I was nine years old, my dad died. And I've told the story before, so some remember it. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. But I don't expect people to remember my story. I was nine years old when my dad died, and it was very traumatic for me. It was very tough to deal with that. Uh, you know, God, you know, God helped me. My mother remarried, a very fine fellow. My mother died a year and a half ago. My stepfather's still alive. He was the father figure in my life. But as I went into my teenage years, I would go to catechism class. I was going to the Church of Christ and also the Lutheran Church. They shared a building, and so I went to catechism class. I was catechism classes, learning their doctrines, learning what they believe. And it was very important for me to ask this question. My dad was a good man. In fact, I've met some people who worked for my dad. He was an engineer. He worked for General Electric when I think General Electric was a better place to work. Excuse me if you work there now. <laughs> but he, and I've met people who worked under him. And some of the people who worked under him told me what kind of boss he was, what kind of leader he was. But he never went to church. And so he didn't go, since he didn't go to church, I always wondered, is he going to go to heaven or hell? Because that was my view back then, heaven or hell. I didn't have the understanding of the kingdom of God. But as a teenager, it was like, I have to know what's happening with my dad. He was, he was a good man, but he never went to church. And so in catechism class, we talked about it. I brought these things up in the catechism class. And I really believe it was through my dad's death that God called me personally. He called my mother. He called my stepfather. But I believe he also called me. It was through that tragedy that I learned a lot because I was searching. I was an upheaval as a kid, and I believe God opened some doors. And so I brought these things up, and the, the pastor said, when we started talking about hell, he said, you know, the Bible doesn't support the concept of an ever-burning hell fire. He admitted that in the catechism class. My next comment was, what about heaven? He says, we're not going to talk about that. It was over. Because <laughs> he, you know, he was probably in trouble just to admit for what he said at that point. But, I, you know, there's promises you have faith in God, you have to believe a promise. When God says it, it is absolute. And many people believe the health and wealth gospel. The health and wealth gospel says if you obey God, you will be wealthy. If you obey God, you will be healthy. Some people say if you obey God, you'll be protected in a place of safety. All that's a bunch of nonsense. Because the Bible shows that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. As a follower of Jesus Christ, sometimes you suffer. He suffered. He died. He was martyred. So you can't. So any of these televangelists who preach, if you obey God, you're in this bubble and everything's good. They'll say things like, if you want to be rich, send me $20 and you'll be rich. Well, the only one getting rich is a televangelist. He's the one getting rich. You know? But the health and wealth gospel is a bummer. Don't believe it. But here's the thing I learned. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation taken you, but is common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. But with the temptation will make a way to escape that you'll be able to bear it. If anyone promises you obeying God will keep you out of trials, they're lying to you. They may be sincere, but they're lying to you. Some, God does bless us, and God does protect us, but sometimes God lets us suffer. And quite frankly, one of the most important subjects you'll ever deal with in life is the subject of suffering. 
there are many philosophers and theologians who have given up on God over the issue of suffering. And I'll tell you what, not only the issue of suffering for you, but if you're going to reach out to help people, you've got to think about giving an answer for suffering because that's when people need you most is when they're suffering. And you've got to come up with ways from the Bible and truth from the Bible to comfort them and help them. And here's the thing is, God will not keep you from all suffering. In fact, what did Jesus learn? Jesus learned obedience through suffering. As it turns out, he's perfect. So guess how much imperfect people like us learn through suffering? That's how we learn. By the way, that's the, old, that's the best way we learn. It's not the way we want. No, no, we don't want it. But we learn the most through trials and, and suffering. But God said, when you go through a trial, he will provide a way of escape. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to help you look at God's deliverance. We all need God's deliverance. If God's going to give us trials, so be it. But then if God gives us deliverance out of those trials, I want to understand that. So I can know how to talk to him. So I know how to pray for you and you pray for me. We ask for God's deliverance. So I'm going to go through five areas of deliverance. Five different ways. These are not the only ways of deliverance. I have a handout for those of you who like a handout. Uh, some people think a handout feels like school. Well, stick it in your Bible and don't look at it. A lot of people love the handout. I've got about 40 verses on the handout. In fact, Mr. Mr. Gregory said, can you kind of let me know what scriptures you're going to use for your sermon? And I said, well, that's a little bit tough because some of the scriptures I pick on the fly. So I'm going to make those guys work back there. I'm going to make them work because I may pick them on the fly because I, I, there may be one that jumps out at me. And, of course, I'm, I'm not going to read most of those verses. Because you've got the handout. You study it when you go home. You've got the information. You can look at it when you go home. But the first one is escape through dramatic miracle. Brethren, this is the one we all want. This is the one we want. This is the one we pray for. And there's nothing wrong with praying for it. But there is a problem if you think it's always going to happen this way. It doesn't always happen this way. You believe in the laying on of hands for healing. You believe that in your congregation. And you, you've noticed when people pray. Have you ever heard someone do this during the prayer when you've been anointed? Have elders ever laid hands on your head and ever said, Father, please heal this person five years, three months, two days, five minutes and four seconds from now? Have you ever heard anyone pray? Of course not. We always pray God's will be done. But before that we say, God, please heal them immediately. Please show your power immediately. Please bless them. Please take away the pain right away. And when you pray to God, that's what you're asking. God, please take the pain away right away. Can, can I have that job today? Can I find that mate today? Can I deal with my spouse in a positive, humble way today? Can you have my spouse grow up today? Well, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't say that one. <laughs> we, we all want it today. And there's nothing wrong with wanting it today because I'm not going to turn to any of those on the handout. But on the handout, Noah... The, the miracle of Noah, the miracle of Moses, the miracle of Elisha, the miracle of Hezekiah getting 15 years of life, the miracle of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, the miracle of Daniel in the lion's den. And of course, those are Old Testament accounts. What about the New Testament accounts? What about when the, uh, the council put the apostles into prison and the angel opened the door? And the chains fell off. How about later on when Paul and Silas were beaten and put into prison? And they were put in the stocks, and the stocks came off their feet. 
And how about the different healings, people being raised from the dead? These are dramatic miracles. And brethren, we, ha we may not have the same style of miracles today, the exact same style, but you do have miracles. And you know what? Talk about those things amongst yourself. When you have hospitality, fellowshipping with each other, talk about them. Interactive Bible studies, talk about them. Sprinkle the messages with them because we need to be encouraged about their dramatic miracles. Even if we don't have the same style of miracles, we do have healings. And we do have, we do have great blessings, great open doors. And we thank God for those. That is one of the great deliverances. But that's the one we all want, but that's only one of them. Let's go to the second one. I'm going to spend more time on the later ones because you, you can look, read about the dramatic miracles. The second one is escape through death. And please put up there Philippians chapter 1. We'll look at that one. Now let me just mention real briefly about death. The one thing I like about Christianity in general over other religions, I do not like a religion where people strap bombs to themselves to blow up innocent people. I don't like that. I, and the fact is, you may have some crazy person occasionally will do that in the Christian religion, but the Christian religion is not of blowing yourself up to hurt other people. The Christian religion is you may be a martyr, you may sacrifice for someone else, and of course we're to be living sacrifices. The subject of death, we don't kill ourselves. Now I do want to say something, and I, as I say this, if you need to talk more about this, I'm, I'm not available long, but you have people here who are available to help you, you have friends who can help you, you can trust. If you've ever had thoughts of discouragement, or if you ever have thoughts of death, those things, those thoughts occur. You have to deal with it correctly. You never take your own life. But let me tell you, Moses at one point said in the Bible, I might as well be dead. Elijah, when Jezebel was after him, was like, I might as well be dead. Job talked about that. Jeremiah talked about it. Now, do you recognize these names? These are all pretty powerful figures in the Bible. You'll find them in the book of Hebrews 11, People of Faith. You know, in a real world, you have real discouragement. But there are, there are biblical answers. There are biblical solutions. If you were to tell me that you've had thoughts about death and hurting yourself, I would not judge you at all. I would encourage you to find the biblical answers and to never make the mistake of taking your own life. In fact, I'll tell you even a better example than all those I just mentioned. There was a man who once said, I'm sorrowed unto death. And if you recognize that quote, that was Jesus the Messiah. In other words, life's tough. Now, why do I mention all that? Because there comes a time when death is a solution. Never by your own hand. Never by your own hand. But look at this, Philippians chapter 1, beginning verse 21. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Now, I, I say this, and I mention this from time to time. You know what would be the best thing for me? is for me to die. I, I, believe me, I never have, I've never had the thought of taking my own life. That's not, a, that's not even a temptation to take my own life. 
But that would be best for me. I, I won't do it at my own hand. Because what happens if I die? What happens if you die? You're in the kingdom. At your next conscious thought, you're in the kingdom. You may be asleep for a thousand years. You may be asleep for a little bit of time. Some of the thousand years, we probably shorter. But then the next conscious thought, you're awake in the kingdom of God. I have a good life. But even with my good life, if I think this good life supersedes the kingdom, I am short-sighted. Your good life, my good life, does not supersede the kingdom of God. So for me personally, it'd be better if I died. And I was telling them last night, my style is to go hard. You know, I was talking to Raymond about, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm kind of a compulsive guy, go hard. Whatever I do, I do hard. I work hard, I play hard. I go hard. And I tore my, I tore my ACL, still torn. I didn't get it fixed. This is a torn ACL, playing basketball with college students when I was 41. And I could, I, my skills were gone. I mean, my skills were gone. I couldn't shoot or anything, but I could run all day long. And I could, they, I could outlast them. I could outlast the 20-year-olds when I was 41. Finally, I blew out my knee. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to play ball until I blow out my knee. And she looks at me like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> why, why do you want your knee blown out? Well, she goes, why didn't you quit when you're 33? She said, because if I quit when I was 33, I would have had, wouldn't have had those last eight years. Well, this sounds bad. Please understand. When you think I'm right, imitate me. When you think I'm wrong, forgive me, okay? But my, my goal in life is to live hard until I blow up my heart. Remember my dad died at age 38. I'm 59. I, I used to be an exercise addict. I, I, I adapted my life to live a long time. Now, who, I'm not afraid of death. All of us don't want to suffer. None of us wants to suffer. So it's a little selfish of me to say I want to blow my heart out because I don't, you know, I don't want to sit in a nursing home until I'm 130, you know, suffering. I'd rather not do that. But again, I mean, I have any say in it, but I'd, I'm just telling what I'd rather not. So for me, I'm just going to go hard. If, here's the thing, too. I am not irreplaceable by it anywhere on this earth. I, I contribute in life, but I'm not irreplaceable. And by the way, any person who thinks, who tries to tell you they're irreplaceable, don't believe it. Now, and I don't want my wife to be so dependent on me that her life falls apart without me. Now, the thing is, I would be missed, I think. Would you miss me, Ray? Okay. I, I, I would be missed, but, you know, Ray's life would go on. If something happens, if my heart blows out before the wedding, guess what? They get somebody else. I'd lose out. They'd cry for an hour and then they'd get someone else and life goes on. And that's the way that no one's irreplaceable. But I would be missed. So when, when he says down here in uh, verse 23, I'm in the strait between two. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Verse 24, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. I would like to think that my wife wants me around. And I don't want her dependent on me. I don't want her, if I go, she doesn't, I want, she knows how, how to do all the finances. She knows how to do everything we do. She knows about our insurance policy. She knows about everything. Because I don't want, if I fall off the face of the earth, it's like, uh-oh, what's she going to do now? She's capable. She can handle it. I, I'm hoping she'll miss me. I'm hoping she doesn't throw a party. Like, yippee, he's gone. <laughs> that would not be good. Yippee. My boys would miss me. My sweet little granddaughter would miss me. I probably, she probably, I think about her the most because 
I want her to have grandpa up until she's a teenager and older, you know. I'd like to, I'd like to be around for her. For me, personally, my life would be better. You know, even some of you would miss me. You would. But your life would go on. Your life wouldn't fall apart. But you might miss me. But the thing is, sometimes when people die, it's an escape. And you know what I'm talking about if you've watched people die. And you've all been in the situation where you watch someone die, you want to live. And you're asking God, please don't let them die. Please don't let them die. And then you start watching them suffer. And then you start praying, God, please either heal them quickly or let them die. Because sometimes God lets someone hang on long enough to those who are alive are ready. Sometimes the person who's dying is ready before the rest of us are. And you've, you've, you've watched that. I've been with people dying. I've had people die in my arms. You know, I've, I've watched people die, and I've, I've actually been there holding them. And you know, I've watched them. They've been ready for weeks. And they're just at the very end just waiting because, like, they're waiting for the family. God's waiting for the family to be ready. You know, God knows what he's doing. But the point is, I just want you to realize, sometimes death is an escape. As I said, never by your own hand. But if something happens, you can see it's a blessing for some. The third one is escape through hiding. Now I'm talking to all you John Wayne Christians in the audience. <laughs> you John Wayne Christians, you, you, you're, not, you're tough. You're tough. You walk around, you know, and, and you're not afraid of anybody. You're not afraid of anything. And you know what? You're just, you don't hide. If someone asks you about your religion, you say, I don't hide. I just blurt it out, man. I'm not afraid. Well, let me tell you, folks, I think there's a time to be quiet and hide. Sometimes hiding is smart. Let's turn to 1 Kings 17. By the way, there's a scripture that says, and I'm not turning to it now, but there's a scripture in Amos somewhere, that when evil gets bad enough, the prudent people keep quiet. And let me just say, I'm jumping ahead a little bit in some of my thought progression for later, but there's going to be a time you're going to keep quiet about things happening in this world. Now some of you say, no, 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 I evangelize, I preach the gospel, I'm not afraid of anything. Brethren, there's a time to hide and keep quiet. Smart people will do so, wise people will do so, there's a time to do it. But I am tough. Yes, you are. I like the story of Elijah. Look at here, 1 Kings 17. Elijah the Tishbite, who was one of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the eternal God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there will not be dew nor rain these years until I say so. God told me, I'm telling you. That's like, would you like to go before Barack Obama or the Congress? Mr. Obama, let me tell you, it's going to happen this way, and it's not going to change until God tells me and I tell you. A lot of adrenaline rush, isn't there? Your adrenaline's <laughs> pumping. And then, verse 2, then the word came to God, to, to Elijah again. Elijah's probably thinking, okay, what's next? Pelosi? Reed? Who's next? Putin? You know? I'm a Jinrod? Oh, who, who, who's next? Who do I talk to next? I just laid it out there. Who do I talk to next? And God says, verse 3, go east, east, okay, east, which way, east, east. And God says, hide. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute, God. I just laid it all out there to the friend. I laid it out to King Ahab. And now you're saying I need to hide? Yeah, hide. You're not giving much confidence here, God. I, I have to hide now? There's a time to hide. Let's look at John chapter 8, verse 59. But some of you say, yeah, Elijah hid, 
But I'm like Jesus, and Jesus never hid. If you believe that, you're believing a myth. Let me tell you this. Jesus did not hide because he was a coward, because Jesus was not a coward. If you hide, it doesn't necessarily make you a coward. You could be a coward, but you don't have to be a coward. We were talking again this in the pre-marriage counseling about sometimes, you know, some people, one person one time would talk to me about, Dave, you're afraid. You're afraid. What are you afraid of? And my response would be, I said, every time you call me afraid, I'm going to call you stupid. So he said, you're, you're afraid. I said, you're stupid. He said, he didn't like being called stupid. I said, why are you calling me afraid? Part of my problem is, my wife says, and she means this as a compliment, okay? So it doesn't sound like a compliment, but she means it as a compliment because my wife doesn't like cowards. My wife says, my husband's got more guts than sense. <laughs> and she means, and she means it as a compliment. You know, I've seen some, I've seen some wives going like this to their husbands. <laughs> Apparently some of your husbands have more guts than sense too. But the thing is, if, if, you, if you withhold... It doesn't mean you're a coward. Maybe you're smart. Jesus was not a coward when he hid. John 8, verse 59, this famous story about he's having this argument, so to speak. Oh, by the way, let me mention this about John 8. I, I learned something truly amazing from studying the Bible. Isn't it amazing what you learned studying the Bible? I was getting falsely accused, as you have, happens to do from time to time. I was getting falsely accused, and by the way, Never ask for patience. There's only one way to learn patience, and that's to be, de be deprived of something you love for a long period of time. So you're crazy if you say, God, give me patience. That's like saying, God, deprive me of things I like for a long period of time. Don't, don't. See, the game, I, you know, if you've heard me before, you know I say this. God knows I need patience, but I never ask him for it. I know he's listening now, but still, it's a little game we play. I am not asking for patience. He might actually give me what I ask for. There's only one way to get patience. Only one way. So if you really want to be deprived of something you like for a long period of time, be my guest and ask for it. I think you're nuts. Don't ask for that. Another thing you can't learn, to, learn how to deal with false accusation. There's only one way to learn how to deal with false accusation. And that's to live through it. And every time it comes up again, it doesn't come up that often. When it comes up again, my reaction is, oh, you mean I haven't learned that yet? I thought I learned that pretty good. Okay, round 64. Here it comes again. Okay, i got to deal with this. And then you ask God to help you deal with it. Well, this comes up to John 8. I studied in the Bible where it said, when Jesus was falsely accused, how did he handle it? And I had this preconceived notion, because there's a scripture in Peter that does say, he did, when he was reviled, he reviled not back. I believe that verse. So I had the conclusion then that he never answered back. I thought, Jesus never answered back. Because I remember when he was before Pilate, he didn't answer back. So I studied everywhere in the Bible where he was falsely accused. And you know what I found out? Most of the time he answered back. I was really shocked. Because I had this preconceived notion. And John 8's the time when he answers back the most. That's why I'm bringing that up. Because actually that's in John 8, that's where they said, you're illegitimate. We know who our father is. You don't even know who your father is. They're giving him lip. 
So he gives him a little lip back. He says, well, your father's the devil, a liar from the beginning, and you're just like him. <laughs> this, this, this is quite an exchange going on here. They're going after it back and forth. So at the very last verse in verse 59, they were so mad at him, they took up stones to throw at him. And he stood there and knocked them away with a force and knocked them on the head. No. Jesus hid himself, snuck to the temple through the crowd, got out of there. Are you going to call Christ a coward? Don't even think it. Don't even think it. Even the tough Jesus Christ knew there was a time to hide. So you tough John Wayne Christians, there's a time to hide. Not because you're a coward, not because you're afraid, because you're smart. Let me tell you something about a warning ministry. Jesus Christ had a warning ministry at the end. You know what happens to a warning ministry? If you have a constant warning ministry, you have a big turnover. Because after you warn them, they're going somewhere else. You know, in some of the churches of God, they've had warning ministries. But there's a huge turnover in the churches because after you warn them, then they get turned off and mad and they go somewhere else. Same, same would be true with a, uh, like the uh, Mormons, or not the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses. What do they do? They come to your door and warn you. And what do you, what after that, how long did you last with them? You, you, after a while, you don't answer the door anymore. Oh, no, here they come again, you know. Or some of the Baptists who are warning, the, the warning Baptist ministries. There's a big turnover. Jesus Christ had a relationship ministry. And that's what you have with this church. You have an opportunity to have a relationship ministry. We have a church, you have a church. Those who have churches, we have an advantage over others. We have a building, we can do things. We, we can do things like have a... Chili, we've we got to go do this again. It's time for us to do a chili supper in our building with all the proceeds going to the fire departments. You know, if they come from Longview, we take, we, they know that we give that money to the Longview Fire Department. Relationship ministry. Remember, Stephen had a warning ministry. How, how'd that go for him? <laughs> a warning ministry gets you in trouble. You make people mad. So we have a chance to have a relationship ministry. And guess what? When you have a relationship ministry, Jesus had this long relationship ministry, and finally, at the end, he warned them. And what happened when he warned them? They killed him. It's, it's so amazing to me how here was Christ. You know, they're, they're rallying up the people to kill him. You have to think some of the people had a real challenge on their hands. Because they probably, the people there, kill him, kill him, kill him. And they're sitting there thinking, hmm, isn't that the guy who gave us fish and bread? He didn't seem like such a bad guy when he was giving us fish and bread. Isn't that the guy who healed Aunt Betsy? Hmm. Isn't that the guy who cast a demon out of Ruth? Hmm. Hmm. And just imagine, even after he did all those good things, even after he did all those good things, they, they were joining in. Kill him! Kill him! Kill him! Because it shows you, no matter how much good you do, which we should do, no matter how much good you do, Satan can rile people up to even say, we're done with you. Let's go to John chapter 10, verses 39 and 40. Again, they sought to take Christ, but he escaped out of their hand. He went away beyond Jordan to the place where John first baptized. Where do y'all go? Where do y'all go hunting around here? How close to go? Where's the best hunting place? 60 miles north. What's the little place called? What's it? Okay. 
Jesus hid where? No water. That's where Jesus hid. He got out of the big city. He got out of the big city of Tulsa and went out in the wilderness. Now, why would you, why would you go in the wilderness? He's hiding. There's a time to hide. There's a time in the classroom when there's a lot of heat on you and you're in a classroom. There's a time, even though you're a person of courage, a man or woman of courage, there's a time to just keep your big mouth shut. Time? Just wait to, wait to fight another day. Wait to argue another day. There's a time to hide. There's a time if you're with a mate and you're ready to into it and you have, you have all the facts, you have all the logic, but the emotion's out of hand, you just think, you know what? I'm just going to be a smart person and shut up because this is not going to be edifying. This is not going to be productive. You're not a coward. You're smart. You want to be smart. You can be tough. You can be strong. But we want to be smart. Let's go to the fourth one. Escape through leaving. If you could put the first scripture up, I'm not going to turn to these, but we'll quickly refer to them. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 through 15. Well, I think I will turn to them because I don't want to read the hot turn. Oh, there it is up there. We'll be up there. Time, there's actually a time to leave. Let me show you four quickly, four times to leave. The, okay, marriage is designed to last forever. God wants marriages to last forever. I know people who've been married 62 years, 60 years, 58 years. I love it. Marriage is designed to last forever. Y'all got me saying that. I said it a lot of times. You, as preachers and teachers, we preach the rule and we counsel the exception. We preach the rule and we counsel the exception. All exception cases need to be based on the Bible. If a person is free to remarry after a bad marriage, it must be based on Scripture. And Jesus gave us some clear scripture on it, and Paul gave some clear scripture. He says in verse, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12, To the rest I speak I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife that believes not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, and with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which has a husband that believes not, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let him not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else their children were unclean, but now they are holy. Verse 15. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. There are situations where it is biblically permissible to leave. Probably a person needs to, if you're in a tough situation, you want to handle that with prayer and fasting. Probably good advice from people you respect who are, who are spiritually mature. I'm just saying... There is even a time to leave. Do people do it prematurely? Absolutely. They'll, you know, that's, that happens. That should not happen. But I'm saying factually, there is a time when you can even leave a marriage. That is a, that is a grand relationship. That is a holy relationship that you should not leave it lightly. So again, we don't want people leaving it prematurely. But understand, first of all, when you see someone leave a situation, we're not the judges of it anyway. And I know in our, in our congregation, uh, 
I put a lot of stock back on the couple. I put a lot of responsibility back on their shoulders. And I have found out that they take it pretty seriously. Because they can't, they can't say, well, Dave Haber said. Well, they ask my opinion, by the way. They ask my opinion as pastor. They ask my opinion. Then when I give my opinion, I also, they should ask, what scriptures do you use to validate your opinion? And I do. I show them my scriptures. But they can't, they can't stand before God and say, well, Dave Haver said. And God would say, well, so what? <laughs> Dave Haver said, what, what's that mean? What did you know in your heart? Were you truly free to leave? Did you manipulate the system? Did, what, what do you know? What does your conscience say? I have found, personally, when I put it back on people who really believe in God and trust in God, they take it pretty seriously. Because if they can, if they can say, let's have a vote in the church, how many think I'm free? If they can con the people, you can never con God. The point, the point I'm making here is, there is a time to leave. Notice here 1 Corinthians 7.21. I know this is talking about slavery, but there's a time to leave a job. Are you called being a servant? Don't care for it. But if you can be free, become free. Now I know the, con the specific context is slavery. Sometimes jobs are like slavery, sometimes. And if you're going to leave a job, it is better to have one in place. Okay. But here's the point I'm going to make to you as a Christian. Instead of griping and complaining about your boss and the working conditions and the company, you really have two options. Get a new job or shut up. Think about it. I, I, you may have reason to gripe and complain. Your boss may really be bad. I'm not, I'm not minimizing your boss may be bad, but believers are to handle it by either I've got to deal with this, or if I can't deal with this, I have permission to leave, and if you leave, have a job in place. You know, have a job in place. Let's go to the next one, Matthew chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. This one applies to me tremendously because, and the same principle, remember about if you have a job, either leave or keep quiet. I'm really disappointed with my country. I don't want to go into all details. I'm really disappointed with my government. I'm really disappointed with our, my government that has become corrupt at the top. I'm disappointed that a system that was devised for our representatives to work in the field and then spend a couple, couple weeks or months in Washington and come back, no longer the case. I'm disappointed that they don't have to live by the same rules that I have to live by. They can do insider trading. They, you know, they don't have to go under health care. They're going to impose on everyone else. All these things bother me. The point is, I've got to handle it maturely. Just like on the job situation, you've got to handle it maturely. If, if you see honest things bad on the job situation, you still have to handle it, handle it properly, maturely. So my situation is, even though you can be irritated, and I can be irritated by what I see, and I can work through the system to do the little bit I can do. The biggest thing I do is pray. There is a time in Matthew 2, verses 12 through 15, being warned of God in the dream that should not return to Herod, they departed from their country. Brethren, there's even a time to leave your country. And here's the deal. As disgusted as I am, and again, those of you listening on the transmission from different countries, I hope you love your country. 
You, you should support your country. You, you have the same view we do. Enjoy your country while you can. You know, if, if I really thought moving to your country was better, I would do so. If you really thought moving to our country is better, you would do so. But the point is, I can be irritated and I can be, do things constructively to change things, but you cannot go to the level of the anarchist who you know, the Bible does not support some of the things that people are supporting. See what I'm saying? You can leave, or you can deal with it, but we have to be careful that we don't act Christian. We, have, we must maintain our view as believers of how we deal with things. The last one is Acts 15, verses 36 through 40. There's a time to leave a congregation. Acts 16, verses 36 through 40. There's a time to leave a congregation. Let me say that. If you leave a congregation, there's a way to do it. Remember we talked about job? Remember we talked about job and country? Well, here's the thing. If you're miserable, hypothetically, by the way, I know nothing. I'm not speaking to anybody here. I'm just giving a principle. Well, I'll even go back. About five years ago, we had people leave our congregation. And we were sad and they left. But I got to the point of saying something to them that they didn't like to hear but it makes sense, and every pastor I've ever said, heard me say it loves it. What I said to them is, please be happy here. But if you can't be happy here, please be happy somewhere else. In other words, it's just like the job situation. Either make it work, work in the system to make it work, but don't tear down, don't be disruptive, Quietly and productively edifying, go on your way. You, it's okay to leave. It's not okay to be divisive. You see the difference? And so, by the way, I, the reason I want to show you this here in Acts 15, verses 36 through 40, you can, keep, you can keep floating it up there as I'm going along. I'm going to paraphrase. Here's what happened. Paul, Paul and Barnabas said, hey, let's go back to all the churches we used to go to. Let's go make a return trip. And Paul said, Great. I want to take John Mark with us. And Bar uh, Bar no, excuse me, Barnabas said, I want to take John Mark with us. And Paul said, over my dead body. I'm not taking that little runt with us. He bailed out on us. Remember we took him before? He didn't, he didn't last. When the going got tough, he left. I don't trust him. He's not coming with us. And that's why they split. They split over personnel. Most church splits do not happen over doctrine. Most church splits happen over personnel. Oftentimes who's in charge, but it's a matter of, we like this one better. We know we like that one better. That's why it happens. So if you ever have seen that or witnessed that, if some of your friends have been in church and you've watched them have church splits, a lot of times it's over who's in charge and over personnel. It's not usually over doctrine, just like Paul and Barnabas. Again, it was okay for them to leave. But they, again, hopefully, by the way, if, if, if friends change the locations of where they worship, we don't all have to worship together, but we all need to be kind to each other. We really need to be kind to each other. And if someone goes to a different place, fine. I, 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 don't, I don't just want them slandering me. Just be happy and preach the gospel and have more teachers and have more music. 
and let's all work together. And what I love to see is like what you're doing for Seventh-day of Unleavened Bread. Getting together. You don't have to be, you, no one's asking you all to be together every single week. But your brothers and sisters in Christ say, hey, let's do something. Let's do the Holy Day together. The Seventh-day of Unleavened Bread, let's do that together. And even if people don't even worship together, have church socials together. Just be loving to each other. I think, it, you know, really in the church of God, we need to have, as we watch the different people do different things, the problem is not the doing the different things. The problem is how we treat each other. See, we, by the way, we in Big Sandy, we consider you a sister congregation. We don't know what you consider us, but we consider you a sister congregation. So, so hey, hi, sis. <laughs> okay, now let's go to number five, escape through coping. And I only have one, I'll go to one verse here. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And in this essence, I spent more time on some of the earlier ones because this is the one we do the most of. Did you hear me say that? This is the one we do the most of. Yes, there sometimes are dramatic miracles. Yes, sometimes people escape through death. Yes, I spend a lot of time on hiding. I don't know why that is. I don't, I'm not sure if God wanted me to talk to you about that. I don't know. I mean, it's either God inspired it or I had my crazy ideas. I'm not sure which one. So if the shoe fits, where? But coping is the main thing we have to do. Now, in coping, and I just want to mention something real briefly about coping. Times are tough physically. I would encourage you to always trust in God for salvation. But I would encourage you to prepare physically for bad times ahead. Now, obviously, with this many people, we're all going to do it differently. I'm not asking you to, to think that your physical preparations are going to help you be saved. I don't believe that at all. But your physical preparations may help you stay warm. Your physical preparations may help you eat. And if you're not so worried about yourself, think about your spouse. Or think about your kids. Or think about your aging parents. Or think about your friends. Obviously, you're not to make a god out of that. By the way, uh, in, I don't know about you, but when wintertime comes, I check my level of my antifreeze. Do you? Well, why? Because you don't want your car to go bad. Uh, you have a spare tire in your car? You should. And so, do you, do, you have a, do you have a fire extinguisher in your home in case of a fire? So there are things you can do to be prepared that won't save you, but maybe then too, we, we have a generator in our church building. I don't, I don't remember the size of our church building. It's, it's how many of you have seen it? Do you remember the size? Because you might remember that more. Yeah. 10,000 square feet, okay? We have a generator that can run the whole church building. We, we are doing that because not only we're not trying to save our skins. When bad, bad times are tough, we want to be the strong ones in Big Sandy. The little town of Big Sandy, we want to serve them. Real, by the way, if you have any food, I realize thieves can steal it. I realize that. But, you know... I don't want, hope they don't steal it, but I don't mind giving food to people. I don't mind helping people. So, again, there's ways to be prepared. And I just I would ask you to at least consider physical things to do. Remember Joseph. 
He knew the famine was coming, so what did he do? During seven good years, he was smart. He didn't lack faith, he was smart. I'm just encouraging, please be smart. Again, we'll all do it different ways. Don't, you, don't judge each other if you do it differently. As your friend, I just think bad times are coming. And so with bad times coming, I'm just asking you, just get a little forethought to it, a little forethought. But then, more than coping physically, the important thing is to cope spiritually. That is the key. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. This is a great example here of Paul. Let me give you some background here. Paul was feeling a little bit sorry for himself. By the way, I'm a full-time elder. I mean, my job is I get paid to preach and serve our congregation, and I get paid to travel around to help scatter brethren. Uh, Mr. Gregory, you, that, you, you get maybe expenses. I would hope you get expenses for some things you do. But you and the others, you have your own full-time job, right? You have your own, your own job, your own work. And see, it'd be easy for servants who are trying to do it the right way, all the other elders trying to do it the right way, to kind of feel unappreciated. Now you might say, no, Christians never feel unappreciated. You're in la-la land, folks. I, I, I deal in reality. I deal in reality. Reality is people like Paul feel unappreciated. They write about it. Because Paul was like, in chapters 10 and 11 of 2 Corinthians, Paul was saying things like, okay, I preach for you, and some big shot apostle comes in, apostle of Christ, and you fall over him. Oh, here comes the big apostle. Oh, here comes the big apostle. And that's why Paul said things like, I speak as a fool because who's been shipwrecked for you? Who's been beaten for you? Who went hungry for you? Who traveled long distance for you? You know what that sounds like? Sounds like parents. <laughs> yeah? Sounds like normal parents. Because these parents bust their tail to help their kids, and sometimes the kids don't appreciate it. And, and moms say, well, when you were born, you weighed nine pounds and I delivered you. I mean, we, we try not to do that. But we, we, we feel unappreciated at times, you know. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, is like, I can't believe it. I'm the one busting myself out for them. And these big shot apostle comes in, and they're like, ooh, here comes this big shot apostle. And see, so then he also said that at the beginning of chapter 12 here, he said, God even gave me revelations. You don't even appreciate, you don't even see that God gave me revelations. But then he said, because of those revelations, God gave a thorn in the flesh. Let me tell you something really quickly. Do you want a lot of gifts? Do you have a lot of gifts? Great. I hope you have lots of gifts, spiritual gifts. But if you have spiritual gifts, you're going to have thorns in the flesh. It's a package deal. Because the great God loves you. Because if God gives you gifts without the thorns in the flesh, guess what you're going to get? The big head. Oh, I'm a great teacher. Oh, I'm a great this, I'm great that. And when you, you do that, then God looks and says, Oh, I can't use you, you're acting just like Satan. Satan had, all that, pro, uh, Satan had all, that, that, all that talent and he went, let it go to his head. And now he's the adversary. So if God's going to give you gifts, and if you say, Dave, I think I've got 12 gifts. I say, great. Uh-oh, that also means you've got thorns in the flesh. Uh-oh. 
I don't even know what your thorns are, but if you really have 12 gifts, you've got thorns because the loving God is going to try to keep you humble. Because if you don't stay humble, you're useless to Him. Because knowledge puffs up and love edifies. So I hope you have a lot of gifts, but understand you will have thorns in the flesh because a loving God wants to help you. So anyway, that's when, that's when Paul said, please take away these thorns in the flesh. He said it once, he said it twice, he said it three times. Please take away these thorns in the flesh. And here was the answer, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Do you understand what that means? Do you believe it? If Christ ever says to you, my grace is sufficient, I'm not taking away the trouble. I'm going to help you deal with it. And the, that's a greater miracle. To me, what's the greater miracle? God taking away cancer from you in one second? Or letting you live with cancer for three years? The greater miracle is letting you live with it for three years. Because then you can be a vessel of honor. You'll have your bad days, but you'll have your good days when you can be an inspiration to the, the nurses, an inspiration to the doctors, an inspiration to the family, an inspiration to your kids. Oh yeah, if he, when he heals it like that, that's a great miracle. And that's the one we all want, of course. I will always pray that God healed your cancer immediately. Always pray that. But if God says, no, I'm not going to do it, okay, sir, you've made a promise, you're going to help me escape through this, so I'm looking for your grace. I'm looking for your power. I'm looking for your strength because I am weak. And please let your strength flow through me because I am weak. Anyway, I've run out of time. So I know some speakers, when they run out of time, keep going anyway. But I'm not going to, because I want to be invited back. I'm, I'm going to be back in June. I might even get an invitation in June, maybe. All I can do is beg. I can all I can do is beg. But I want you to remember now, God will give you dramatic miracles. Escape through dramatic miracles. Some people escape through death that happens to them, not that they do to themselves. There's escape through hiding. You're not a coward. Be smart. There's a time to leave. There is a time to leave. But most of the time, we escape through coping. But today, I wanted to encourage you and help you by talking about God's deliverance.